We're back in the village of Dungworth on the outskirts of Sheffield and we're in the car park of the Royal Hotel, scene of the Sheffield Carols episode which we recorded here and also scene of the episode we recorded with John Bowden when we went walking in the Loxley Valley which is stretching away behind me here, a wooded valley, very green, full of cows and then in the distance I can just see the roofs of Sheffield and the wind turbines on the horizon. And this time we're here for a very special weekend, a soundpost weekend, when a group of people are going to get together to explore what folk music is and to participate in singing and performing it. There'll be some names that you've heard of, and at the centrepiece of it all is Faye Heald, Professor Faye Heald, an academic at Sheffield University who studies folk music, but also a folk performer of great skill herself. And we're going to walk with Faye in this beautiful area and then she's going to take us into the Soundpost weekend. Faye, it's lovely to see you and it's lovely to be back in Dungworth on a slightly overcast afternoon with a bit of breeze blowing. Where are you taking us? On the hills, just up generally. Um, <laughs> that's where I like to go. Yeah, if I'm in the house and want to go for a walk, I just like getting out and see a bit of sky. So yeah, it's just up the back of Dungworth and then we'll go down towards the reservoir and then back up the hill. It's all hills around here. So, okay, uh, fair enough. I don't do left and right, it's just up and down, really. And you brought the banjo. Well, you're bringing it. Oh, yeah, you? I'm going to carry it. It's quite <laughs> heavy, actually. And you brought the dog. I Who's have. this? It's Willow. Little Willow. cockapoo. I'm not a dog person, but um, we got her about four years ago, five years ago. And she's a little buddy. So, yes, yeah, she's come to. What do you mean you're not me. a dog person? You are a dog person now, aren't you? Well, I have a dog. <laughs> okay. I like this dog, <laughs> but I'm not a dog person. <laughs> and we're here, we're on a very special weekend, this Soundpost weekend. Just give us a context for what Soundpost is. So I did a PhD about 16 years ago. It was all about finding ways into folk singing or how people struggle and how the community works, basically. And as part of that, I found some reasons why people struggle to get involved so I set up Soundpost when I'd finished to do things to try and address some of those issues or problems is a bit harsh but you know that the little what sort of things stop people getting involved so the big thing with folk music is that it's advertised as accessible open to all it's for the folk it's for everybody it's dead simple just join in anything goes you know any folky or folk audience will just go yeah of course it is that's what it is that's what it's about but it's really complicated. The performance style, the way people sing, the kinds of repertoires that are accepted, and um, the kinds of behaviours, like when people clap, when you can go to the bar. Those things are really subtle, but really ingrained. And it's so difficult if, if you're an outsider to work out where you fit. That's it, and it's so contradictory. So in one way, you've just been told, do anything you like, but you feel that you're wrong because you are, you know, in the kind of... <laughs> society the way it runs you can sing the wrong song you can sing it in a pop voice or a classical voice and people do sneer but there's no way to know it and so it's really contradictory which makes it really difficult so, so does soundpost give people a chance to learn the rules exactly yeah one two So Ailsa and Sarah, you've been in the singing workshop. How, how did it feel for you, Sarah? Oh, well, it's lovely. It's a lovely way to start the day, isn't it? And are, you, are, you, are you somebody who goes to singing workshops on a regular basis? Well, I sing in a choir, but we don't sing much folk music, and I'm a folky, so this is brings the two things together perfectly for me. And what's it feel like for you, Ailsa? It was incredibly refreshing, is what I'd say. Just uh, put a huge smile on my face and just brought all the rather disparate parts of my brain in line doing one thing simply with a lot of kind people just such an energy wasn't there yeah. 
Well done. The tutors are people that our podcast listeners will have heard of. I mean, because there's people like Sean Cooney from the Youngins, Nancy Kerr, uh, Rowan Reingans, people who we've walked with are coming. And, and I think they're all local residents, aren't they, uh, of Sheffield? They are, yeah. So for this particular one that we're running now, it is the focus is about this area, so they're local. But we've had lots of other people. We've had Kareem Polwatt down, we've had Martin Carthy, uh, Liza Carthy, Lou Killen came down, was amazing. So really interesting people who you don't often just get to sit in a room with and get them to talk about their music. We don't want them to just be like, here's a song, learn a song. It's like an insight into people's perspectives on folk music. Yeah, we're basically asking everybody to think and share <laughs> that thinking. We've also got sessions over to you type things where we want people to learn from each other. So the people that come who are already comfortable doing sing-arounds have a sing-around and people who've never been to a sing-around before get to experience the sing-around, but with the expectation that they don't know what's going on. And there's sort no criticism of you there. for not knowing what's going on. Exactly, and then we can talk about it as well and say, so what was going on there? Why was this weird? Well, it seems like the whole party's now adjourned to the Royal Hotel in Dunworth, and I can hear singing going on inside, so if we go inside now... We might get a drink and we might get a sing. Young banker, he had such a handsome face And all around his hat he wore a band of lace Besides such a handsome head of hair For my young banker I will go there So we're, we're over the style and in this field now and this might be a good place for a, for a song. We brought the banjo. What would you like to sing for us? Maybe I'll start with a goose song, because we're in kind of farming country. So it's a song about, well, it's an American song, a kind of kids' playground song, which it's a bit like Ring a Ring of Roses or Jack and Jill or something. All the kids in the playground in America seem familiar with it. I didn't know that. I just wrote a little tune on the banjo and I needed a really sad song to go with it. And I found this text. Um, yeah, so I put the text to the very melancholic tune and then Americans come up after gigs saying... Oh, I used to know that, but it's all... Um, yeah, but it's the saddest song in all the world. It's about this goose who dies and the woman, the farmer's wife, or the, the farmer, <laughs> and she wants to make a feather bed out of the goose's feathers. So she's really happy that it's dead, but obviously the goose's goose family is mourning it. So it's about thinking that little bit deeper. I do this quite a lot. I overthink songs an awful lot. So I've always got something going on. Yeah.
Actually, isn't it? Yeah. It is really sad. But uh, you've already plunged me directly into a load of questions that I thought we were going to kind of tackle over this weekend. And I'm right in there because it's about what is folk music and where does it come from and whose is it and can you add to it and can you change it. So that's an American song. Yeah. So you heard an American song as an English folk singer and you took that up and then you changed not just the way it sounds, so the, the the atmosphere of it, but did you change any of the lyrics as well? The name, yeah. It was Brody, but I'm not familiar with any Brodies, so that didn't really fit for me, so I just changed it to Nancy, which is quite a classic folk name. Right. Yeah. But that's it. I think is that's that allowed? So we're talking about rules now. So what are the rules about folk music? As somebody who's made a study of all of this, you know, I, I talked to Peggy Seeger, for example, who said that she doesn't like to sing... English songs because she is by birth an American, even though she's lived here for many, many years. Can you sing the songs of another nation and can you change them? People can do anything. People do do anything. But if you view folk music in one particular way, you might then think you can't do that and then it's not folk. But there is no such thing as folk music. It is a construct. And it depends how you understand that construct as to whether it is or isn't. And there's a billion different ways that people have interpreted what folk means so i can't say yes or no because it it doesn't actually exist do you have any <laughs> do you have any clues uh, any definition of folk music because i know that the debate is one that people really relish well that's you it know, I, I teach like this to have stuff. the row don't they i teach this stuff all the time so it's i have my personal opinion of what it is and how i want to be a musician but that i wouldn't ever preach that as a teacher and say that that's what it is you know that is my view of it i sing stuff that is meaningful to me and that tends to be traditional stuff for me you can do anything you can change anything you can do whatever you want for me it comes down to ethics rather than rules so if I'm going to upset somebody by what I'm doing I'll think harder about why I'm doing it and that could be an individual or it could be a nation you know so I understand what Peggy's saying and I did have it with um uh with the witches but back in the early days with the witches of Elswick we sang Bonnie at Morn which is a sort of Geordie anthem. And a lot of people from that region are really proud of that song. And we sang it and we changed some of the words to make it more Yorkshire, because I'm Yorkshire. And we got a lot of criticism and a lot of people were upset that we'd taken their song. So I think it is important to think about what you're doing. And I might not do something like that again. So I have taken songs from other places, but I wouldn't take something that there's a a big group of people that really feel a sense of belonging or a sense of ownership over something. Or if I did, I'd, I'd have a very good reason and a justification. I'd be able to talk about why I'd done it. Whereas I don't really have that for Bonnie at Morn. It was just a nice song. It didn't mean that much to me to take it from them. So I don't sing it. But it brings us back to rules, doesn't it, in a way? Yeah. Because I'm with you. I'm, I'm, I think this should be a, a massively broad church and that there isn't an answer. And that therefore it's just about, you know, let's let a thousand flowers bloom and a, and a thousand flowers exist but there are those who want to police the boundaries you know and who want to put barriers around it and say well that one's not included and that one should be included and so on this is where i get stuck because i i i still sympathize with that view as well and for me 
either, you know, there's that whole, I ain't never heard no horse sing, all folk music, so all music's folk music because we're all people. But I think there is something special about music. I think people identify with what is commonly understood as folk music or traditional music in a different way to how they identify with classical music. They might enjoy classical music and jazz or hip hop or any other kinds of music. But there's something about celebrating a cultural identity that is something extra about this kind of music. And so for me, it's sort of trying to work that out. So the song could be anything. It could come from anywhere, but it's it's how a person is feeling about it and if they think of it in those ways. So it's almost not the ingredients or that it's journey, it's, it's about the moment and it's, yeah, it's cultural identity. Let's walk on. So where did it all start for you, Faye? Where, where did folk music come into your life? Was it something in your childhood? Yeah, I was never out of it. So my mum was a Morris dancer. So I remember being dragged around days out, dancing days out and festivals and things as a child. And my dad used to go to the local folk club in Keithley, Back of Pipes. Which is quite famous, isn't it? Yes, the infamous Back of Pipes folk club. Why is it infamous? What's wrong with it? <laughs> well, <laughs> Peter Bellamy was resident there for a long time. And he's a famous figure in the folk world. Yeah, controversial figure, kind of Marmite voice. You either love it or hate it. Strong, strong voice and strong opinions as well. Politically, he was quite right wing, which is unusual for the folk scene at that time. Anyway, so yeah, he was a controversial character. And what um, was the atmosphere like at the Backer Pipes Folk Club when you were going there as a kid? Well, that's it. They were all singers, huge singers. I mean, all folk clubs have choruses and joining in, but the quality of chorus singing there was just amazing. Where Maggie was it? Boyle, so what sort of room was it in? It moved to lots of different places, like lots of clubs have. So it, it's, it's the people rather than the event, really. The, the people are family to me now. Well, always have been, I suppose. They're, they're like my aunts and uncles. I think your mum died, is that right? And, she did, yeah, when I was and, and did the club rally round when that happened? Yeah, well, I already... I, I used to work for Maggie Boyle, so Steve Tilson and Maggie Boyle were in Keithley as well. Another um, great, great folk names. Yeah, incredible, incredible singers. Steve, great songwriter as well. And they toured as a couple, and I went and nannied for their kids while they were on tour. So I kind of got an insight into folk music and I got really close especially with Maggie um, and we ran a couple of organisations together and worked a lot together so yeah when my mum died she sort of became a bit of a surrogate you know I was a teenager I didn't in mothering but um, she was really important to me yeah. yeah and lots of them lots of them at the club right so I mean I, I've asked this of quite a few people who were kind of born into it uh, that it could have gone either way I mean I was saying to Eliza Carthy you know you could have gone off to be an astronaut or something like that. you could have rebelled against the, the, your parents' choice of folk music. So what was it about it that drew you in rather than made you rebel against it? Well, I was never forced to go. I was never forced to learn any instruments. It, I think people rebel when there's... Well, I don't know. It seems quite a passionate thing. <laughs> there's got to be some force towards you to rebel against it. So it was always just a positive choice. Right. And I just liked listening to people singing <laughs> just liked going it was just what i did so it got into your heart and soul as it were it got into your emotions as well as yeah. your intellect and festivals are great you know as a teenager just going off around the country getting drunk in a safe environment it's the best thing you know it's brilliant <laughs> with a load of people that you sort of meet up with bump into have a lovely time yeah it's brilliant so then how did it become an academic subject for you well I had what did I do I had quite a troubled teenage years and uh, I was always all right at school quite bright at school but then when my mum died in the middle of A levels and I sort of left before that so that didn't go smoothly and I'm from Keithley West Yorkshire where nobody well people either went to university if they've been brought up by doctors but most people there was just no aspiration and I was brought up by a single parent in the Thatcher years there was no money total poverty upbringing really we had no money but we had aspiration which was a kind of weird environment to grow up in a weird way to be so I kind of imagined I could go to university but there wasn't actually a practical way to do it and then she died and when was it okay so I went and lived in 
Island with Damien Barber. Actually, the know, Demon the Barbers. Demon Barbers the yes. the hip-hop dance show. And then came back and I lived with an art teacher for a while. And then we split up. And I was just like, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. What am I going to do? And it was just at the point where they started the folk and traditional music degree at Newcastle. And Maggie Boyle, who I'd been nanny with, she sat me down and she said, well, why don't you just go and do that? And I was very dismissive because all through my childhood I'd watched folk works happening, but we couldn't afford to be a part of that. So that, that whole folk works community completely passed me by. And, I was and the bit... folk works community was a way of getting young people involved and teaching them yes. formally about folk music. And they had like groups of young kids playing tunes at 100 miles an hour and loving it and having a brilliant, brilliant time, but I wasn't part of that. And so the degree was set up by those same people. And so part of me wanted to go and hate it and you know review it really badly but in order to do that I had to go you know and give it a chance and so that was almost my motivation for going I was so so pig-headed um but I went and and then I met academia while I was there and there is a lot of problems with it you know and a lot of people through criticism at it how can you go and study folk music it's not an academic subject and things and, and I agree with a lot of that that you can't and you shouldn't just churn out factories of musicians that all play the same thing and say what is or what isn't folk and that they are the folk musicians and anybody that didn't do that course can't possibly be a folk musician but that's not what they're saying you know that's that's people assuming what the thing is and saying that it's bad when it would be bad if it was that but it wasn't that what, what was it then what was the reality of it what did you learn from it well i met ethnomusicology while i was there which is the sort of discipline of studying music in culture or music as culture and yeah, I loved that. So there were a lot of folkies teaching on it and folk musicians teaching, and, and most of those didn't have an academic background themselves, but obviously very expert at what they do. But there were the academics who worked in jazz and pop, and so it just opened my eyes to different ways of thinking. And at the end of that, a, a PhD was advertised, and I was like, at the end of a degree in folk music, going, well, what am I going to do now then? Because clearly this doesn't qualify me for anything. And so I just applied for that and got a funded PhD. So it's sort of... Things have always been a bit fortuitous as well, come up at the right time. And so how much is the practice that you have of performing as a folk singer and writing as a folk singer, how much is that part of your academic world? So I've always felt I've got three strands. I'm a performer, I'm an organiser of things like these weekends or events, um, and I'm a, an academic, a writer and a studier and thinker. And all the way through, like any self-employed person knows, you can't drop anything because you just got to keep going. And academia, early years academia, is awful for tiny contracts and things. So I spent kind of 15 years with these three plates spinning, being too busy but not able to put any of them down because they, they're so interrelated. And now I'm lucky enough that I have got an official post at the university and it all... It is actually a job now, whereas at any point it looked like a chaotic career, but it's turned out all right, really. And, and how important is performing to you as a person? I love it. <laughs> After lockdown, there's nothing better than just having a load of people clap you. <laughs> like, it sounds ridiculous, but it was so nice. You realise what you've missed yeah, for two years. Yeah, really did. I'm playing with Sam and Rob. Sam Sweeney and Rob Harbron. I've played with them for, oh, I don't know, 12 years. And just having the three people there, just making music, feeling supported and like we just know what's happening or if things go wrong we know how to make music together and it's just it's like a different way of being that hasn't been available to me for a couple of years so stuff like covid is so stark it, it just brings those things to relief that you, you see them but yeah i love it i love making music would you like to make a bit more music for us now <laughs> okay <laughs> so now what are you taking out of your bag there Faye? what's that this is a little bowl it's one of those kind of meditation-y bowls. I want to say Tibetan. Where did you get it from? I was just thinking that. I think uh, my my ex-mother outlaw gave it to me. <laughs> <laughs> so I've never been nice married. Um, yes, she gave it to me for my birthday one year. And it's lovely. And oh, it it's makes an uh, incredibly pleasing sound. Should we just listen just, to it for a minute? Can I just describe it as well, because mm -hmm. it's sitting on a small cushion on your hand, which presumably preserves the resonance so your hand doesn't stop the, mm -hmm. the sound. And it's rather beautifully inlaid around the sides. What's it made of? Is it, is it bronze or...? I don't know. It's a metal anyway, isn't it? It is. It's and some you've got a metal. stick mm -hmm. 
which has got something on the end of it. What's that? Is that a pad? It's kind on of the cloth, end? yes. Yeah, so... on the end of it. And then you, you use the stick around the outside of the bowl mm -hmm. to make that ringing noise. Mm -hmm. um, and if you give it a little hit at the beginning, it sort of sets it off. I'm self-taught. The, the bowl on its own is amazing, but it's just lovely to sing at. So when I first got it, I would just sit and just make noise at it. So it's quite a nice way to write music just against one kind of drone. So yeah, anyway, I love it. Like the eddies in the water Where the swirling ripples gather We must never cross the rack line Where the water leaves the treasures Of the sea to mark the measure Round and round we all go dancing on the shingle in the water where the selkie people gather oh, 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 oh. stands a statue and he watches as we shimmer in his eyes shining glimmer stay in safety in the shallows touch the seabed with your fingers salt and seaweed textures linger Stars and moonlight overdwelling under ocean currents swelling. Mention Rackline, which mm. is the name of your album. What is the Rackline? <laughs> so the Rackline is when the sea comes in and the tide leaves a load of debris on the beach. So bladder rack, the kind of seaweed that they leave there and all sorts of other bits and pieces. That, what's left behind when the tide goes out again, that's called the Rackline. And the bit I'm really interested in is between there and where the tide is. So, because that's kind of no man's land, because it was sea and now it's land, but it's not land. It's not land, it's not water. And so that's where the Selkies dance in this song, that they're not allowed to cross into dry land, but this, they can be in this kind of midway. I did this whole project around fairies and the other world, and I found it really fascinating thinking about why, why we're still so fascinated by these things that we just don't understand. And so I kind of 
probably the academic in me compartmentalizing everything. So I was saying we've got the real world, so maybe we call that the land, the real world, and then we've got this ghosts and fairies and all the stuff we don't understand, and we'll call that the sea. And then we've got art, and I think art is the bit in the middle where we just try and understand both those things and we can experience them both together. So I think uh, for this Soundpost weekend, you've commissioned some of the tutors to write songs about a particular place. Can you tell me more about that? Yes, yeah, so the Sheffield-Lakeland Partnership. Where is, is the Sheffield-Lakeland, by the way? Because I think this is a piece of branding that's occurred since <laughs> I left Sheffield in the 1980s. I've never heard of it either. <laughs> no, where is it? I don't know. It's quite an arbitrary little area, but they, they're very clear about where it is themselves. It, and there's this red line drawn around a map of kind of North Sheffield. To me, it just seems full of reservoirs rather than Lakeland. I was going to say reservoirs. That's what I would associate with the area. But bless them, they got loads of money and uh, they've supported lots of brilliant community projects. So loads of dry stone walls have been repaired. A lot of the churches have had renovations. And so they, they just invited community groups or people in the area to pitch for projects to go for it. And uh, they were keen to get culture going as well. So Soundpost put in because there's a really strong caroling tradition around here we know um, i'm sure you We've did been, that we sung in the you. dunworth in the royal at dunworth yeah <laughs> um so we do we, well we do it every year anyway we're going to local schools um just let this car go past going to local schools and teach the kids some of the local carols and yes and run things in sheffield city center as well to sort of get the word out yeah, so that was one strand of it. And then this other strand is commissioning new songs, responding to the area. And yeah, we've got five artists have all done a song each. And th their brief was to just respond to the, the local area. But they've all gone for the Sheffield flood and stories around that, which is where one of the reservoirs um, burst its banks and just, as <laughs> the name suggests, flooded the valley. And lots of people were displaced, quite a few people lost their lives. It was a huge event. Okay, so, yeah, the Soundpost Song Cycle Project. We will kick it off with Sean Cooney. Please welcome. Fair lent me book on the Great Sheffield Flood of 1864 and the enormity of the story soon hit me. The 11th of March, Two minutes before midnight, the collapse of the Dale Dyke Dam and millions and millions of gallons of water thundering down the Loxley, taking out buildings, foundries lifted from the foundations and joining the Don, going all the way to Rotherham and, and within an hour, the, the loss of at least 240 souls and, and perhaps as many as 300. And it's it's incredibly well documented. Um, you know, there's so many first-hand accounts, people saying it was like the end of the world. It was so, People didn't know, had no idea what was happening. I stepped back from all of that, the enormity of that, and, and, and the, the personal connections of all of that, because people here are still, you know, descendants of, of the flood are, are amongst us, and people still lay, lay flowers at the memorial every year. So I started looking for, looking for the heroes, looking for the helpers, uh, as the old saying goes. And um, I've written a song about a dog. <laughs> the legend of Rollo the dog. Now, there's no actual historical evidence to suggest that Rollo did this heroic deed, but I'm going to argue that he did. Uh, a collar exists, a gold collar with his name and the date inscribed. And Rollo was a real dog, and he did belong to someone who worked at the Philadelphia Steelworks. And the story is that he saved a baby from the flood. Anyway, so he, he, here's my song, and um, it's called Rollo. Well, you've heard about them wonder dogs All fit to raise a smile Like dogs who've walked of their own way home Who've walked a thousand miles And dogs who've held their heads in war And dogs who've walked in grace there's dogs who've been on submarines and dogs who've been to space. Here's to the hounds of Hollywood who've done their fancy bit. And to all those dogs who've done out much but eat and sleep and shit. Well, 
Here's a little ditty for a doggy long ago. His master named him Rollo, and his story you should know. Was the saddest night in Sheffield was in 1864 when Dale Dyke Dam collapsed and water thundered down below. And near 300 souls were lost beneath its angry tide as foundries, houses, bridges, barns were swiftly swept aside. Now Rollo, he was sleeping fast by Philadelphia Gate as Gunson's gig came rattling past the hours getting late. At two minutes to midnight he was waking from a dream Was like the world was ending and the pigs began to scream No Derby horse could run as fast to raise a warning cry A Bradfield baby one day old would be the first to die Through damp flask down the Loxley then the water thundered on And Rollo sensed the danger so he headed for the dawn He heard a baby cry out like a banshee in the night He dove into the filthy foam and swam with all his might Well his teeth grabbed to the basket and he pulled her to the shore As people gasped and people gaped upon the deed they saw was barely but an hour before the torrent had been spent Yet all the way to Rotherham the devastation went Subscription soon was raised that night to thank the faithful hound A golden collar were inscribed, his name was shouted loud Though there's no record of this deed was ever written down And there's no statue of him in the centre of the town but Mary North, she swore with pride, her father told her right That she had been the baby that the dog had saved that night A hundred and fifty years would pass until one dusty day In the archives there at Shoreham Street they found a hidden tray and a picture titled Faithful Friend Pulling for the shore In memory of Great Sheffield Flood 1864 On some celestial bow-wow shore The tales are wagging wild Sorta sits a smiling Swansea Jack is at his side Laika, Buddy, Rintintin And all the motley crew And Rollo sits amongst them then And every word is true Thank you. There were big brickworks in the factories. So obviously, all the industry in the, in the valley was knocked out, as well as housing and things. So um, you can sort of see the after effects of it. Lots of little streets of houses have been built to rehouse people. Um, which are a bit incongruous and you don't normally see that kind of architecture in areas like this. So, yeah, it's, it has left quite a mark. And so I'd be really interested, I haven't heard the songs yet, I'm going to be really interested to hear where, what they've got. And it's so interesting to us because obviously we're fascinated by the connection between music and place. Mm-hmm. And um, obviously it's interesting that immediately you start to look into a place, you look into the people who live there and start to find their stories and that can inspire music. And, and it brings us back to that question about what, what is folk music. So writing a song now about the experiences of people in the past in, in relation to a particular place, that sounds like a pretty valid folk song idea to me. Well, if you're going to, yeah, look at it in that frame, then yes, it does tick those boxes. But on the other hand, they're contemporary composed songs which aren't, they're not known by the community, there isn't participation, yeah. Hello, my name's Rowan Rheingantz and what a delight to be asked to do this. Um, a song commission with a deadline. It's a, it's a beautiful thing, even if the deadline was stretched and stretched and stretched. We're finally here. It's called Wide Open Water. Thank you. 
We know there is less wind at dawn The season doubles all around us As the sun rises over the wall In the glimmer where the heron stands At the neck where all the world is thin We move in silence, I know she's strong And then I love her like I love the damned Push away, push away, love Push away, push away Into the wide open water Where the path that lies submerged How the stillness tastes and the air sounds When a storm is coming Damn flask is white horses And the spray soaks all the runners running Push away, push away love Push away, push away Into the wide open water You are not here to love us Not here to give us what we want But sometimes you say come in And I'll carry you along into the wide open water. We drive out from the city in the twilight. The smell of fear and freedom at Dale Dyke When a storm is coming So big this could be Canada Or someone else's home And the smell of pine and soil The water cold as knives How our grief reveals the fishes Below the surface of our lives You say rest now and I'll hold you Rest now and I'll carry you along Rest now and I'll hold you Come in and I'll carry you along In the wide open water And does place feature in your music at all? Do you respond to geography or location? I don't think it does in, in really explicit terms. I wouldn't say I focus on place, but I'm very big on things being meaningful to me and me being able to understand it. And I don't think you can get away from place in doing that. So I have to be able to picture things... I have to be able to relate it to me or my past or where I am in my life and, and, all, and all those things are tied to somewhere. So, yeah, it is, absolutely, but I would never say it was directly. Does that make sense? Yeah, I do understand that. Yeah, it's not just about sitting in a particular field and looking at a particular view or whatever, unless that view has some resonance. Gone the wrong way again. Oh, well, we, sorry. <laughs> I'm not paying any attention. <laughs> Do you want to go back down the road? I want to go down that footpath there. We just keep walking just... until we're told otherwise. <laughs> keep asking me difficult questions I have to think about. <laughs> yeah, so it's not just about sitting in a particular field and looking at a particular view, unless that view has some story to tell to you or has some resonance for your... Your yeah. experience. So, like Braggle Taggle Gypsy, there's bits of landscape mentioned in that, and that doesn't particularly. I don't find that that meaningful. You know, they talk about riding over the countryside and things. I can picture it, but that for me isn't the point of that song. That's not the depth of the song. But I suppose the 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 feeling of being out and sleeping with 
the gypsy camp rather than being trapped in her house. I can feel the environments and they seem important to me. But yeah, I don't have a particular place. I couldn't put it in Google Maps where that song happens. Kind of thing. <laughs> so we're going to go down here. Yeah. arrived in a rather nice little dell. Yeah. <laughs> I was like to sing in a you're dell. framed against the backdrop of the bushes here. And are you going to sing a song for us? What, what are you going to sing? It's Sweet William's Ghost. And it's one of the night visiting songs. So we've got man, woman having a conversation, one of them's dead. And so they're quite common, but this one went over to America. And a lot of the songs in America end up with a bit of a religious twist to it. So the last verse is on this. It's got the hound, the hellhounds, hounds of hell in it, which is quite unusual. So I like those. And I got it from the singer in Maggie Boyle, who I was talking about earlier. And she, uh, she passed away from cancer several years ago now. And uh, her big message was that it's the songs. You've got to keep the songs going. It was, it was almost like that was her will, was passing songs on to people. So I feel this is my Maggie song. So it's a, it's a very meta death song. It's a song about death. You know, earlier we were talking about how art sort of helps you understand the world around you. So it's that kind of letting go of dead people, but it's also come to me through a singer and I can hear Maggie in my head when I sing it. Um, so yeah, this is my death song. <laughs> Lady Margaret was sitting in her own loyal bar, built of lime and stone. Lady Margaret was sitting in her own loyal bar when she heard a dead man. Thank you. 
that your head she said is there a room at your feet is there any room about you at all where I might lie down and sleep father is at my head he said mother's And the three hounds of hell lie at my side, my soul, they will all keep. One of them is for my drunken ass, one is for my pride, and the last one is for all the fair pretty maids and staying out. Late at night Lady Margaret was sitting in her own loyal bar Built of lime and stone Lady Margaret was sitting in her own loyal bar When she heard a dead man That's wonderful. I, I'm having a bit of an existential crisis now, and I, I was just going to ask you, I was going to ask, why on earth any of this matters? You know, why is it important to you, anyway, that folk music is passed on, as you described Maggie passing it on to you? Why should we care that this marginal activity in our society still carries on? It feels good. It feels good to me, so I want other people to feel good. You know, if everyone's a cave person, you eat something that tastes nice, you give it to somebody else humanity progresses we've all been through so much in the last few years if we don't understand now that we need things to help our brains function you know we don't just need food and exercise we need stimulus we need to understand and unravel our thoughts in some way and art that's just what art does so that's yeah. art but what is it about folk and particularly english folk that you regard as significant so for me i think and that is the nub for me of what traditional music is or what folk music is it's about me being able to explore myself through music. These songs mean something to me. I sort of, they settle me. Even the really grim, gruesome ballads, you know, it sort of just releases something in me. And that's, that's just drama for me. That's not necessarily the tradition of it. Is it the nationality of it, though? Does it connect you with the fact that you're from England and from Yorkshire? Does that connect you because you're taking part in an English tradition? I've... You've got to be so careful with the sort of nationalism stuff of it. And I think it is really important. But I think it's more that I'm so familiar with it. It's kind of the nature-nurture thing. My genetics are made up of all the history that's gone on behind me. But also my nurture has gone on through all the history behind me as well. And I've learned how to speak. I've learned how to view the world. Everything, the way my brain works, is cultural and culturally trained. And so the songs have things in them that I recognise and that feel like mine. So I love them for that because of the familiarity, not out of a sense of I'm English and da-da-da. Um, but it's so hard to be proud of where you're from, especially with England and the whole colonialist narratives around it. It's a really tricky thing to navigate, but I just love it in, to my core. You know, it's not a sort of rationalised thing I can really talk about. I must say that if it wasn't for the extraordinary number of young, talented, creative people that I keep meeting on the folk scene, I might be a bit worried about the folk scene. And I know you're forming a project at the moment called Access Folk to try to work out how to engage people and what barriers there are to engaging people in folk. And I sometimes worry that the folk scene is a bit like the Church of England, you know, that it's sort of withering and that there's an ageing group of people who are fans of it people of my age and older who you know who grew up with it in the 60s and 70s and and, and still have a nostalgia for that but in the audience unlike on the stage there isn't a new generation of younger people coming in large numbers to keep that passion alive am I wrong about that is that just a sort of 
nightmare that I'm having, or is it something that you worry about no, too? No, you're absolutely right. But I think we need to remember that that performance context only started in the 60s and 70s. It's not like that is what traditional music is. And if that dies out, traditional music has died. You know, that is one performance context. And the music has been going on forever. And it's been going on in other contexts as well. You know, it's sung in community choirs. It's sung in, in non-community choirs. So for me, I love that scene. And that, that performance environment is really special and it is worth preserving. But people have a, a real image of what being a folk, what enjoying folk music is. And they don't identify with that. They seem to be because they're not coming to it. And yet things like in the post-Brexit narratives, the Black Lives Matter narratives, we're, we're questioning what it means to be English and what English is and how we can do that in a positive way. So there's a lot of enthusiasm for understanding what English cultural heritage is in a broader and a more nuanced and a more accurate and a more honest way and facing up to some of all that colonialist past, which traditional music is riddled with. So it's quite hard for people to want to celebrate all these songs of ships and, you know, it's really closely linked to the colonialist narrative in lots of ways. So, yeah, but, but that's not the sum of English cultural heritage either. So it's about the messaging or the understanding of it, trying to find out why people can't get involved in it or feel they don't want to get involved in it and either changing what happens so that people do want to come or changing how they see what it is that you know either changing what we do or change how they understand what we do and i don't know which is going to be necessary yet because we're right at the beginning yeah, so of you're it, still thinking about that um, and what, what about the fact that in, in addition to everybody's hair being gray a lot of people are white either on the stage or in the audiences mm -hmm. and that you don't see a lot of people of color for example in audiences at folk festivals and the folk gigs that i go to anyway mm -hmm. is, is that a problem it's a huge problem and it's the same problem um so, so if you don't see yourself recognising this culture, why would you be a part of it? So I'm saying I love this culture because it is me. And and if you're not represented in it, why why on earth would you be interested in it? So it's it's so much deeper than just, you know, it's not an audience development strategy. It's not about selling it to those people. It's a real honest look at what is this repertoire, what is the tradition. Can we talk about Dungworth and what brought you here in the first place? Why, why did you settle here? Well, I came to Sheffield because I got this funded PhD at Sheffield University. So that's what brought me to this area. I lived in the city centre for a year, but then had a baby. And so I knew we were going to be in Sheffield for a long time. And I'm a country girl, so the, the landscape round here, all the dry stone walls and small fields and... The, the scale of the hills and the rivers is so, it's pretty much identical to West Yorkshire and Haworth and Oakworth and Keighley, where I'm from. So I feel very, very at home here. So yeah, I found this tiny little house out in the country and it's just beautiful. So I, yeah, I guess I wanted my kids to grow up somewhere that I understood, because I loved the city, but I just didn't really understand the city. <laughs> and then you found out that there was the pub called the Royal at Dunworth which had a music scene. Did you yeah. just stumble across that? or? Well, I'd been to the carols at the Royal and then I found the house to buy, but I didn't realise how close the house was to the pub until we got the offering and accepted. So that was a bit fortuitous, really, but it's just beautiful. People do seem to stay here. It's an amazing city. Well, it's, it's become a bit size. of a folk hub, hasn't it? I mean, there are a lot of performers who live here. Martin Simpson, Nancy Kerr, Rowan Reingans, yep. Sean Cooney. We never see each other, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, when we first came here, I, uh, I did stuff with Kit Bailey a lot. So Martin Simpson's, Martin Simpson's partner. Partner, and she's, she's great. She's a big um, organiser of things. So it's funny, isn't it? The people who are huge in the folk scene, but you don't know the names of because they're not the celebrity performers. But Kit's brilliant, and we ran a club for a while together. And so, yeah, it was a stayed in the city because it was a good place to make things happen. And you ran a club at the Royal, didn't you? A folk club where you tried to make things a bit different, tried to make it a bit more welcoming, perhaps, to yeah, the exactly. outsider. Yeah, so John Bowden, who I lived with in Dungworth, and I, as, when I was still doing my PhD, we set that up. 
to try out a lot of the things, a lot of the problems that we were seeing that made folk clubs in their classic format a bit inaccessible to people. So, yeah, so just a few tweaks, things like it's in the main bar of the pub rather than in a side room. So there isn't that kind of threshold. You're not in or out. You can, you can stand at the bar and wonder what's going on without being put on the spot. We have the act on first and then the singing session afterwards. So by the time people have had a few pints. Exactly. Yeah. You don't have to sign up for it. You don't have to decide you want to sing and put your name on the list. So people do end up singing or, you know, the guy at the bar sings a country and western song because, you know, they'd never sign up and do that as a floor spot. But yeah, people join in a lot more like that. And then house songs as well, where we print the words off. Well, that's a big thing, isn't together. it? You know, because one of the things that inhibits you from singing is if you don't actually know don't the know words, the words exactly. you can't remember them. Yeah, so like bookending all the sets and intervals and things, there's a house song, which is just everybody sings the whole song all the way through as well. It's, you know, again, that's unusual for a folk club because it's supposed to be led by an individual and then you sing the chorus, but it does just mean everybody gets to sing, you know, during the evening and, and people have learned them. Yeah, it was brilliant. Yeah, so I wrote a paper about it, and so like some of the locals. I love the circular would come nature of your work. It's fun. It's absolutely <laughs> brilliant. Yes, you have a nice time, you know, organising a folk club, and then, oh, it's grist to the academic mill. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's great because people can learn by being there, learn how to get involved very slowly over a period of years. So there's one local guy who just likes going to the pub. So he came across us because he was in the pub when we were there one night, and then he'd start coming because it was our night. And then he sang a song one time. And, you know, we haven't actually got to the point where we give him a booking yet. But um, to me, that just proved it worked. It did, it did yeah. its job. Good what it says on the tin. Would you like to sing one final song for us? OK. Yes. Faye, what are you going to sing? Bad Girl is what it's called. I got it from the singing of Molly Andrews. Um, and it's, it's one of the sort of St. James's Hospital genre. So this is uh, the, the prostitutes following the soldiers around and, uh, and they've all got syphilis, basically. Great, so. another cheery one then. <laughs> I love this one. I, again, she's just really angry and cross. And then, yeah, I, I just love singing this. I love the way it comes out of my mouth. You know, it's a nice tune to sing this one. When I was a young girl, I used to seek pleasure. When I was a young girl, I used to drink ale. Out of an alehouse and into the jailhouse. Right out of a barroom and down to my grave. Come, mother, come, father, and sit down beside me. Come, sit down beside me and pity my case. My poor head is aching, my sad heart is breaking. My body is salvating and I'm bound to die. I'll send for the preacher to come and pray for me. Send for the doctor to heal of my wound. My poor head is aching, my sad heart is breaking. My body is salvated and hell is my doom. I want for young ladies to bear off my coffin. I want for young ladies to carry me on. Each of them carry a bunch of wild roses to lay on my coffin as I pass along. One morning, one morning, one morning in May I spied this young lady all wrapped in white linen All wrapped
wrapped in white linen and cold as the clay. Faye, it's been an absolute joy to hear your music and your story. Thank you very much indeed for joining us on Folk on Foot. Thank you. Faye healed at the Soundpost weekend in Dungworth near Sheffield. Well, if you've enjoyed hearing all that wonderful music, we have actually filmed the songs that Faye performed for us and we're adding them to our Folk on Foot on Film archive. And you can see that if you become a patron of Folk on Foot. You'll make a small monthly contribution and get great rewards and you'll have the added satisfaction of knowing that every penny you give goes back into making more episodes of Folk on Foot. If you'd like to sign up, just go to folkonfoot.com and click on the Support Us button. We really value your support to keep this podcast on the road and to keep this showcase for the music that we all love.